Pod Doctors is brought to you by the Kindle book, Saving Limbs, Saving Lives, Advanced Treatments to Prevent Amputations in Diabetic Populations. This book by Dr. Damien Dauphiné discusses specific patient cases in diabetic limb preservation, which highlight the modern use of wound care technology that has exploded in the last 20 years. With only one advanced therapy available in 1999, there are now hundreds of options to help close chronic wounds in diabetic patients. Dr. Dauphiné distills these options down to show patients and physicians treating these patients how combinations of these products can be used to save limbs and save lives. Welcome to The Pod Doctors. I'm Dr. Damien Dauphiné, board-certified foot and ankle surgeon, and my partner, Dr. Rafa Hussein, fellowship-trained podiatric surgeon, and we are The Pod Doctors. Each week, The Pod Doctors will be discussing aspects of podiatric medicine and surgery to educate our audience on common foot and ankle problems and the latest treatment options available. We hope to bring you interesting and informative shows each week discussing all the crazy ways that our wonderful foot can malfunction and cause us problems. So please find us on all the platforms where you find your typical podcasts, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, and YouTube where you can view our videos. So please like and subscribe, and we will see you next time on The Pod Doctors. Three, two, one. Welcome to the Pod Doctors. I'm Dr. Damian Dauphiné, and I'm here with my partner, Dr. Rafi Hussein. And today we're going to go through sort of the adjunct to our gangrene podcast from last time, uh, going through one of your cases. Yeah, this is a surgical case of a gangrenous toe amp, and um, let's uh, let's dive in. I mean, uh, what's more to say? So we already talked about gangrene. Gangrene blood flow, infection, the tissue starts dying off, the toe becomes discolored, numb, swelling, becomes infected, and uh, obviously we gotta get that off your body um, before it becomes a real problem and causes you know, uh, life-threatening situations. In this case, the patient had dry gangrene. We've talked about the different types of gangrene, uh, dry gangrene, wet gangrene, gas gangrene, which is the worst end of wet gangrene. But in this case, the patient had dry gangrene, severe peripheral arterial disease and diabetes, uh, not under the best control, led him to this situation. Um, so, so this was a vascular problem. Yeah, primarily, yeah. honestly. Yeah. Um, and we'll, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll dive into this, but he was seeing a vascular doctor the first time I saw him. We were treating it as an ulcer, ischemic toe, you know, just minimal debridement taken off, very little because we don't want to debride excessively on... Uh, gangrenous toe. This isn't his foot. This is just kind of what, you know, a gangrenous toe kind of looks like. Right. But 64 years old, dry gangrene of the big toe, the first time I saw him, perforal arterial disease, diabetes, and neuropathy. Um, so we're, you know, fighting an uphill battle. Um, so blood flow. So I sent him to vascular. Um, they were able to open up two of his vessels. The third one, the tibialis anterior vessel, was the one that they were not able to open up. And that was his downfall because the Tibialis anterior is the one that comes and profuses the top half of your big toe. Kind of important when you have blood flow problems. You don't have blood flow coming in, you're losing that toe or whatever part of the body, you know. So yeah, critical vessel for that particular digit. You've got end arteries in that digit. Yeah. If the end he may have had some pretty significant small vessel disease too. I would oh imagine. yeah, for sure. Yeah. So the so what we're talking about is large vessels. 
the, the larger blood vessels, there's the potential for angioplasty where you can go in with a balloon and, and squeeze that plaque against the wall and open up the canal and yeah. deliver more oxygenated blood flow. But then there are the tiny little vessels that you can see in your picture there on the left. The smaller ve blood vessels, they're too small for us to get into. Once they clot off, if it's an end artery, meaning it's an artery going to the end of the toe or to a toe, there's no way to really come back from that. And yeah. so you're going to see rapid tissue death. And once it's dead, it's dead. It's not coming back. Yeah. So in his case, he had the blockage of his tibialis anterior artery. His posterior tibial artery, they were able to open up. That was occluded also, but they were able to open up. And his peroneal, you can't see it in this picture, but this is the perforating branch that connects to the peroneal. Um, so he had afterwards, he did have small tributaries, you know, bringing some better blood flow after his uh, angio, but uh, obviously it in the end was not enough. So one of the things that we're just now dipping our toe into, no pun intended, is something called uh, BMAC or bone marrow aspirate concentrate injections for people who are at the end of the line and are contemplating an amputation because their vascular disease is so bad. So I think one of the things that we're starting to look at is using this technique in these patients before we consider a major amputation. A toe amputation, it's probably not going to fix that. But if you're talking somebody who's heading towards a below knee amputation, you know, this may be an, an option to stave off that amputation. And the whole idea is you're taking bone marrow from the, the ischium, from the, from the pelvis, right? And sucking out, I think it's 200 or 240 uh, milliliters. They spin that bone marrow down, they get the good stuff. And then they can inject the arterial tree all along the artery, the arteries uh, potentially that are blocked and even around open wounds and uh, stimulate some collateralization. Yeah. And that's a powerful impetus for collateralization and for neovascularization or new blood vessel growth. So we, again, you talk about tributaries. Anytime we can get collateralization or new tributaries to grow into an area that's that's not getting enough blood flow, we can improve pain, we can improve uh, the, the staving off of tissue death, which is what gangrene is. So, you know, I, I don't know that I would have done it for a toe amp, but um, for something major? Yeah, we got a couple of patients that, yeah. you know, are at the end of the line with their vascular disease. Uh, you know, I like to say they're being held together with uh, duct tape and bubble gum. They're just, they have the worst of the worst. Their vasculopaths is the term for it, where they just have the worst of the vascular disease. Yeah. So for those folks, and and they're contemplating a baloney amputation because the blockages are too, uh, too, severe. too severe, or they have all small vessel disease below the knee, and there's just nothing to work with. No bypass possible. Yeah, if there's nothing you can bypass too, then you know they're kind of hosed. The plumbing is the plumbing at some point. Uh, maybe they've had multiple stents and you just, you can't keep re-stenting those, those vessels. Yeah. They just, they keep clotting off. So at this point, uh, BMAC is a nice option that uh, we need to probably do a show on. So yeah. I'll, I'll, we, we can definitely to, dive into that. Yeah. So incision placement. So um, the goal was to go back to the healthy blood flow, ideally to the joint of the first MPJ. So the first MPJ, the big toe joint. Some people like to leave the cartilage on, some people don't. Now, it's up to discussion. In his case, his bone infection was mostly the distal end of his uh, uh, distal phalanx. So I came back one joint proximal just because to be on the safe side and obviously blood flow. So I wasn't worried about too much infection or anything like that. More of his concern was blood flow. 
So we like to do like a tennis racket type of incision. Um, it's like a modified fish mouth, I don't know, whatever you want to call it. Some people like to make that arm of that tennis racket dorsal, some people like to do it lateral, however you need to. If there's an ulcer on the bottom, you can rotate it however you need to. In this case, I went standard uh, lateral um, tennis racket. Now let's dive into it. So his issue was the big toe, obviously. Yeah, yeah. you'll see it. Did you get TCOMs? Um, no, I had to do ABIs on him. Because um, they don't have them at Med City. Probably. Yeah. So if it was that, at the that is your center. That would have been yeah, better. I mean that's the problem with in inpatients at that particular facility because they don't have TCOMs. Because it's nice to know some information about amputation level, and that's what TCOMs can provide. Yeah, ABIs are great and all, but um, they're not yeah. specific they're, enough. Yeah, they're more for like you're getting enough distance diffuse flow, yeah. but not not for specific areas. So transcutaneous oximetry, while while we're watching you draw this out, is you know essentially oxygen electrodes placed on the foot in three different areas, usually two on the foot and one on the leg, and it's reading oxygen coming out of the skin. Yeah. And the, re the reason that's helpful is we can identify the level that's going to heal. So if we know in this patient that base of the toe is not getting enough flow, doing an amp at the base of the toe is worthless. They're just yeah. going to dehiss that. It's never going to heal. So then you're going to need to come further back, like midfoot, and they may need a transmetatarsal amputation. That yeah. may be the most sensible amputation for that patient based on their blood flow. But yeah. it, you know, if they opened up two vessels out of three, it's conceivable, and you get some blood flow right there. So yeah, it's I was happy. Yep, yeah, that's what we're looking for. Right. This is my my anesthesia tech check to make sure there he's go. numb. But but yeah, you see bleeding at the incision line, rigorous bleeding, right? Like like you did. Yep. And that, then, there's nothing better than that. Yeah. And then also note, there's no tourniquet inflated. I put the tourniquet right. on just in case. Right. If I ever need it, God forbid. But. In, in amputation cases like this, we, we typically don't inflate the tourniquet because we want to see the tissue that we're cutting actually has blood flow coming right. to it. And, and you want to be able to control bleeding at the at your closure site too because yeah. a hematoma is not going to be a, yeah. not going to be helpful. So I'm, I'm carefully dissecting free. I'm just going to jump ahead because you don't have to see me dissect this out. But I'm going down to the level of the joint and removing all non-vibo tissue. I think uh, that was one of the sesamoids I think I was just taking out. Do you take out the sesamoid oh, apparatus? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah I do sure. too. Yeah, yeah. I just, I don't know. There's no reason to leave it in there. Um, it's, it's a potentially dysvascular tissue yeah. right in your wound bed. Yeah, and, yeah. and and my logic is when you're walking, now that that... that you don't need it. There's yeah, the no function is gone. There's no, and and yeah. I, I feel like it could be a, a peak point for pressure too. Sure, yeah. So I, I totally agree. Toe's gone. So next thing I'm going to do is go back and find any of the tendons that didn't retract back when I was doing the... Uh, uh, amputation part. So tendons are low vascular tissue um, and we don't want infection to track along the pathway of those tendinous sheets. So you'll see me dig around, pull that out. Sometimes I'll roll it in a hemostat if I if I can get enough length out of it and I'm just going to trim it back. Sometimes, honestly, when you cut through them, they just sling back like a rubber band anyways. Yeah, you don't want to leave those in your immediate wound bed Yeah, because they're a potential source of, of more necrosis. And yeah. Yeah, necrosis leads to more potential for infection, obviously. So, all right. So, magic trick. Do you do on. the pulsivage? Oh yeah, you I'm gonna do that. that. You yeah. Are, okay. Oh yeah, antibody yeah. beads, pulsivage, wound cultures. Oh, there we go. So, there's your little tendon twirling technique. Yeah, real fancy. Yep, that's the Hussein tendon twirl. <laughs> so all I'm doing is pulling that tendon as much as I can and cutting it back and letting it retract out. 
And if I was doing something else in different parts of the foot, sometimes we'll transfer these tendons for more function. But for the toe, we don't have to do anything like so, that. And you can see that the, clearly this patient has vascular disease because you have no tourniquet in place. That thing should be bleeding like mad. Out, but yeah. you're getting good oozing, yeah. which is an indication that those flaps are likely to heal. So... Uh, I don't think there's much besides tendon debridement on this. But part. you can see you got a nice, a nice full thickness plantar flap that you can yep. you can bring up over oh, the end of the. That's a good point. So whenever we do our amputations, you want to leave tons of excess, right? As, I don't mu say tons. as much as you can. As much as yeah, exactly. Because yeah, you you're going to get tension. some receding, you got some shrinkage, you got some right. swelling, and the last thing you want to do is have his post-op healing process hindered or gap or to hiss mm -hmm. because you you were really trying to make it you know snug and you want to keep you you want to be in control of the weight bearing surface and so if you can yeah. pull a nice healthy fat pad up over the end of that stump which is going to get pressure from shoe gear even if you use diabetic shoes with plastizoid inserts the mold molded insert to replace the toe we can do yeah. we can do toe fillers with yeah. these inserts so oh, yeah if you you know you you lost your big toe, we can we can fill that gap, yeah, and it'll prevent the other toes from drifting over yeah, too, or pistoning in the shoe and beating up the second, third, fourth, fifth toes. Yeah. yeah. So after this, I do a pulse lavage. Yeah. Um, some people do bulb syringe. I think the pulse lavage is golden for this. Um, it's high pressure, high intensity. You're literally physically irrigating the area out, and then I do like antibiotic solutions sometimes. Sometimes I don't. It's argued. Um, if you need to, I don't know, what do you do, bacitracin? Uh, I still like Gen. I, like, I do, yeah, I do yeah. a three liter bag and do 80 milligrams of Gen per liter, so 240 milligrams of Genomycin. Yeah. And you're washing all that, that dead tissue out, any infection that's in there out. I mean, it's, I don't know. There's, there's a couple of studies that show that you're getting, you're breaking down deep fascial tissue and that may not be a good thing. But, you know, I don't know that a couple of studies uh, disprove what I, you and I have done for, you know, me, I've done this for 24 years and I love the pulse lavage. Yeah. So I, I can't, I can't say that two papers would change my mind, but there is some evidence to suggest that, that pulse lavage can be problematic in what it does to the tissues. But uh, I don't know that it's clinically relevant. All right. So wound cultures, obviously before I do my pulse lavage, I want to make, take wound cultures. And this is for my infectious disease uh, doc, who's going to be doing the antibiotic therapy. I want to make sure anything and everything that's growing in that wound is uh, is going to be you know taken care of because I can only get the cultures at the distal end and now that we've taken everything out that's my deep wound cultures and then when in the back on the back table they're going to take that little base of that phalanx and send it off as clean margin and then the distal end as dirty margin. So hopefully we will have access to Microlite Matrix at Med City. Yeah, I think. I'm, I'm hoping, fingers crossed, that they approve that because I think that this would be an absolutely perfect case for that, obviously. So and, and, you can do... Yeah. Refer back to our Microlite uh, show from a few weeks ago. Yeah, you can do any type of graft or anything on these type of wounds as long as you know you have a clean base. So now that I've gotten back to a area of clean, and his concern, like I said, it wasn't infection. It was more the peripheral arterial disease. So a stem cell graft, Microlite graft, Epifix, what have you. These type of graphs are giving you the building blocks to heal and the scaffold to heal and hopefully, you know, faster healing for this patient. Well, and specifically microlite, I think the advantage would be that you're putting silver into that one. Yeah, right? the, yeah. The, the, literally yeah. it's like my, I, when I tell patients microlite, it's uh, my, uh, what is that, blade, right? You know, it's the best of both worlds. It has yeah. the growth factors, the stem cells, and it fights infection. There's no graph that does both.
No, it doesn't have any of that. <laughs> it's synthetic. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, yeah. There's, there's no stem cells. It's simply a synthetic, it's, it's a synthetic matrix that has silver in it. That's it. After I do my pulse lavage, what I'm going to do now is closure. So closure for infection site or whatever, we try to avoid doing absorbable stitches. So there's no layered closure if I can avoid it. I agree. Um, yeah. I go straight to skin. I use non-absorbables like nylon or anything similar. What about you? I mean, I, I like monofilaments, obviously. I, I prefer proline. Okay. I, I yeah, usually yeah. do a O or 2O proline. Yeah. Um, sometimes I'll do... Uh, you know, horizontal mattress. Um, you can even do what's yeah, called. I do deep, horizontals too. You could do a deep retention suture technique, where you actually use dental rolls, the little cotton cotton rolls, and you can tie your essentially your horizontal mat mattress over the dental roll, and it distributes weight a little, it distributes ah. pressure a little bit. Yeah, that makes sense. So you're not getting that string line pressure on yes, the incision. Yes, exactly. And so for typically for for really for wounds that are difficult to close, but you really need to close them. Thankfully, the way you had this set up, you've got no tension on the on the incision line. Yeah, you've got plenty of tissue to work with, so there's no need for that. But yeah, that's another. We'll have to maybe show what that looks like. Yeah, I, I'm, I've actually never heard of that, but that makes perfect sense. Yeah, they work great. You got some antibiotic beads, that and you then put in. yeah, like I said, I do antibiotic beads with these just to you know mitigate any risk of infection. I do the absorbable kind. Um, you know, yeah, for a, for a wound you're closing, that's great. You I'm gonna what? close it up ninety percent of the way. I leave yeah. a small distal end open. But yeah, um, antibiotic beads, you can do absorbable, non-absorbable. Non-absorbable, they're going to look like this. They typically put them on a string or they put them in there. And then afterwards, typically you'll take these out. Um, but the absorbable, um, I think they work well. And they're flushing that, I use vancomycin, into that incision area and making sure that any risk of infection is mitigated. And they make that on the back table. I mean, the nurses kind of spatula that into the, uh, I don't know, the little trays the that come with them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, uh, so this will kill staph and strep. It's not. It's not going to help you with your anaerobes, but no. um, hopefully you you wiped all them out with your your gent and your pulsivage. Uh, all right, so I'm just checking to see how much uh, um, wiggle room I have, and then I start my closures. I kind of just go, you have to piecemeal it together because obviously it's not very natural. You know, there's, there's no skin lines that you can match to, so. Mm -hmm. We're piecemealing it together. Sometimes the end, which on my end, I typically leave my planter a little bit longer or thicker if I can get away with it than my dorsal. So the curve comes up more. So I'm taking, you know, a one millimeter bite here and maybe a one and a half or two <coughs> millimeter uh, bite on the other side uh, between the stitches to help ease in. So there's no uh, what's called dog ears that form on these uh, incisions. And then I work my way in. I'm just going to jump ahead. And you, and you want to pull that planter skin up uh, over the end of the... It's exactly what anyway. I'm trying to do. I'm yeah. trying to bring that up, that thicker uh, palmar yeah. surface. How often are you putting drains in these? So not in, for toes, but I do idoform packing. So yeah. you'll see on this like one... a wick drain. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So I'm just cleaning this up. I don't know if I did the beads yet or not. Let's see. Um, just enough that it takes up a little bit of space. We're not stuffing them in there. It's just enough mm -hmm. that as it's, you know, healing up, it's going to start dissolving and releasing that uh, that vancomycin in there. And it's calcium sulfate, so those are going to get absorbed. They'll, yeah. they'll go away rather efficiently over the course of several weeks. And then uh, in this case, I did idoform packing. You can do, I don't know, hydrofera blue, rope, all that fun stuff. I do a little bit of splash of iodine. 
and just nice and sloppy wet for the first dressing. And then after that, I just do plain iodoform if I need to, or if I'm concerned about infection, I'll do more iodine. But I don't try to do it for more than like a week or two. You know, iodine is great, but it's cytotoxic. But you guys know, I love my iodine. Cut off the excess, a little iodine soaked gauze, prevent infection. You can do zero form, you can do silver alginate or whatever you want to use. Um, and then yeah, nice big fluffy dressing. So how did, how's this guy doing now? Doing good, um, yeah. yeah. Getting him into diabetic shoes. We did hyperbarics for a while. Yeah, he's still yeah. in the healing process. This is fairly recent. But yeah, he's doing well. Um, no complaints. He also is dealing with the Jones fracture on the other side, which, you know. <laughs> Complicates things. Yeah. You know? So if need be, you know, we can do a walking boot, the total contact cast, offloading pads if it was on more on the bottom, and then the packings like we talked about. Um, but yeah, just like any other wound or surgery we just try to keep a clean environment and get him the most optimal healing potential and on the back end the vascular doctor is keeping an eye on him and the infectious disease doctor is doing his part and like i said for him he also did hyperbarics which helped out fantastic well that's a great case i mean it's uh it's interesting to see that over the last 20 years the amputation rate in diabetics has gone up yeah but the the major amputation rate has been coming down. And so we see that as actually a win because we're doing more toe amps, distal amps that are not changing the, they're not changing the biomechanics to the extent that the patient's, you know, ulcerating right away in another area. And so we can manage those with shoe gear and with uh, special inserts. So it's, it's really a win, even though you'd think from the patient's perspective, I'm sure that, that, that they lose a toe. They're upset about that. I understand that. But, but it's man, better than a limb. Oh, it's better than a BK. The below knee amputation mortality rate is awful. Um, yeah, you know, upwards of 65, even 70% of those patients don't survive five years. Yeah. So that is a dramatic stat that we are doing everything we can uh, to avoid, obviously. Uh, you know, it's, it's fairly rare. When we have patients in the system that are getting our care. I mean, we, we may have maybe three or four below knee amputations in a year and, and the ones I'm seeing, yeah, maybe not even that many. So I, I, think, I, I think we're extremely successful. We're identifying peripheral arterial disease early. We're getting them to the folks who can, who can uh, open up those blood vessels. We're utilizing our, our wound care center. We're utilizing our hyperbaric uh, capacity. You know, and then and then following the patients afterwards with the right shoe gear, the right offloading, just teaching, educating, education. educating, educating. That oh, you, yeah. you know, you get a you get a wound on a Friday. Don't wait till Monday to let us know. Oh, or the worst is, oh, I uh, knew I had an appointment coming up, so yes. I just kind of waited. Oh God, how many how many toes have we lost over that exact conversation? Yep. That is so frustrating because you and I, one of us is on call twenty four seven three sixty five. There's no reason to wait if you have what is going to become a limb-threatening situation. And every wound yeah. is a limb-threatening situation. Or just go to the ER. I, know, I mean, honestly. I know. Uh, because they can't feel it. You know, this, is the, real, this yeah. is the real crux of the problem is the neuropathy, the, lo- the loss of sensation. It's a blessing it, and a curse. Yeah, it, it, it removes that urgency. And, and then there's also the whole idea of diabetic encephalopathy where they're ability to appreciate their situation as urgent has been diminished. And there, we used to joke about that, that, you know, these, these patients that we see in the wound center, that they don't seem to have the urgency that they need. And we used to call it diabetic encephalopathy. Uh, but that's a real thing. There were papers published on that in diabetes care probably a decade ago 
that there is a real problem with diabetic patients not, not fully appreciating or not acting on the urgency of their situation. It's, the magnitude is you're, you, you have a wound, it's open, it's discolored. It's, every day it's in open. In any other situation, it would be a huge problem. Yeah, but when it's yourself and you have neuropathy, you know, it's like the whole thing, like, you know, I, I rode my bike over my, uh, my dog's tail. Oh, I got to take him to the vet. I have a, you know, wound on my foot. Eh, yeah, it doesn't hurt. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The fact that they are as dangerous as colon cancer yeah. is, is a, a real, a, a real threat. And, you know, it's difficult for people to, to then ignore it when they equate it to colon cancer. It's like, why would, would you ignore colon cancer if you knew you had colon cancer? You would address it. You'd see your oncologist. You'd get the surgery done, whatever you need, you know, to potentially save your life. The, these wounds are as dangerous as colon cancer. When and when you add not only diabetes and the vascular component, they are more dangerous than colon cancer. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. This is what we do. These are the folks we treat, trying to save limbs and save lives. That's awesome. All right, I appreciate that. Thank you very much, Doctor Hussein. That was a great case. We will add that next to our discussion uh, more deeply of, of gangrene and, and what gangrene is and why it's important that we address it. And we will see you guys next time on The Pod Doctors. Thank you for listening to The Pod Doctors. We appreciate all of our listeners and subscribers. If you'd like to hear more, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and watch our videos on YouTube. Like, thumbs up, subscribe, and be safe. See you all next time. Bye-bye.